I don't know anyone who listens to this podcast anymore. The people I know who listen to this podcast have disowned me. <laughs> you seem to actually know some podcast listeners, Jim. Yes, I do. Who the hell are they? Who the hell are these hippies? Some of them are other podcast listeners. Some of them are just people that I know via tw- via the Twitter. Shiftless people who have nothing to do but listen to podcasts. And they've sunk so deep, they've dug to the bottom of the barrel and got Medialope or Bebop. The only podcast that doesn't matter. <laughs> I think I'm supposed to tell the story about Olga and Jim. Olga, of course, the lead singer of the Toy Dolls. And Jim, of course, Jim. So we found ourselves chauffeuring Olga around Fresno one summer afternoon, 110 degree heat in Fresno in August of 1953. And Olga says to Jim, I need to get some candy. (laughs) And Jim said, what? (laughs) I need to get some candy, Jim. (laughs) And we took Olga to the 7-Eleven across the street from Fresno State. And he walked into what must have been his first American convenience store into the candy aisle at, in front of Fres- in the 7-Eleven next to Fresno State in 1953. And he had never seen anything like it. And he fell down on his knees and started bowing. It was the most perfect candy aisle he had ever seen. <laughs> and this was his life of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. That's what the toy dolls were all about. So anyway, later, once we got him back to the studio, all hopped up on sugar, Jim proceeded to interview him and asked if he would write a song about his experience in Fresno, maybe about the candy aisle at the 7-Eleven. And he says, no, but I might write a song called... Jim looks like a pig. better when you say it jim i i that's why i said it see i i don't remember the candy the candy aisle part of that story at all because you forget things jim you don't remember what happened last week you're not going to remember what happened in the 50s well <laughs> first of all it wasn't the 50s it was the 80s that's the first part who was president um ronald wilson reagan it was the 50s <laughs> with mullets can I open my beer now? You could have opened your beer before. Oh, You're you ready. have ready. a beer. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You want to get a beer, Tim? Do you need to get a hang beer? Hang on. Swap on. There's a high drive. It's in the field. That one is gone. Holy Toledo. Is that Scott Hatterberg? That was Bill King calling the Scott Hatterberg home run to win the 20th game, but my battery is going dead. Ah. <laughs> So he cuts off, and I have to shout, Holy Toledo! Which, of course, you prefer to do, right? What I need to find out is if I can change the battery on this bottle opener. <laughs> oh, anyway, see, every time, that, oh, that, see, every that, time you open a bottle, you get that call. Nice. By the way, yeah. by the way, changing the battery on a bottle opener is like the dictionary definition of a first-world problem. <laughs> yeah. But it's my Bill King bottle yeah. opener. Tell it, tell it to Somalia. Out of pitch. Swung on, there's a high drive. It's in the 
consecutive wins on an unbelievable night. Holy Toledo. Now that's the winning streak that Jim barely remembers, right? Yeah, well, he doesn't remember. It turns out he doesn't remember much of anything. <laughs> <laughs> remember, remember last week? Brain decline, guys. Brain decline. Oh, did yeah, did we do a podcast last week? <laughs> hey, hey, have you guys heard the new Van Halen song? It's 9.12 p.m. on Tuesday, January 17th, 2012. And that means it's time once again for the Media Loper Bebop. Tonight, Moneyball. Also, Spin completely gives up and decides to tweet its record reviews. And finally, we'll tell you why Tim is an idiot. All that, and what's in Kirk's mix on Media Loper Bebop episode 28. I'm your host, Jim Connolly. And as always, I'm joined by my minions, Tim Gaskell. I'm your idiot for tonight. And Kirk Biglioni. Sponsored once again by Stone Vertical Epic. 11, 11, 11. Is, now, is the Vertical Epic, is that kind of an ironic title where, like, if you drink a few of them, you won't be vertical? Might be. A couple of weeks ago, Moneyball came out on DVD. So in a rare show of only being a few months behind on films, Kirk and I both watch it this weekend. And I assume, Tim, you probably saw it in the theaters like you see everything, right? Uh, yeah, I'd already seen it. Yeah. And while I enjoyed it well enough, I'm still wondering why it was made. But Kirk, you're a resident Oakland Athletics fan. Um, it is interesting that they turned that story into a film. And it's interesting that it's not quite the book, but an amalgamation of what was in the book and sort of an interpretation of what happened after the book. In terms of? Just the way that some, some of the things were in the movie were not in the book. It's just things that happened too late. And I guess maybe when the book was originally published, there was sort of like a uh, an afternote that Billy Bean had talked to the Red Sox, that sort of thing. Mm. But it, it just it some of the interpretation of things that retroactively were portrayed differently in the movie based on how people talked about them after the book, relative to what possibly happened at the time and was included in the book specifically Art Howe. Well, Art Howe kind of came off as a dick in the film. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he, was, he was balder, shorter, fatter, troll version it's like, of Art Howe, who, by the way, okay, name another major league manager who ever won 205 games in two seasons, including a 20-game winning streak, and was fired. <laughs> That just yeah. doesn't happen. I enjoyed the film. I thought Brad Pitt was fantastic as Billy Bean. Like you forgot it was Brad Pitt after a while. I kept, I got bumped by. They started off the film with the 2001 uh, divisional series, which we all watched. I think at your house, Kirk, actually. Mm-hmm. And 2001 was the year that Giambi didn't slide. Yeah, Jeremy. No, Jeremy, Jeremy. Giambi didn't slide. Wait, wait, wait. No, hang on, because Jeremy's the one they got the year after in the movie, isn't it? Exactly, and that's what bumped. No, me they like, traded him in the 2002 season. Right, but but the movie also but he shows didn't he didn't slide in October of 2001. But the movie shows talks about them getting Jeremy in 2002 after the World Series. 
Yeah. And so it was like one of the key, one of the puzzles. Ex- or exactly. Pieces to, uh, pieces to the puzzle and that they needed. S- and so that kind okay, of just, that 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 bit is messed up. Yeah. <laughs> but it's but it's true that he was on the team. It's true that there was that party atmosphere that was out of control when they started really, 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 really badly. That it was looking grim. It's like they came out of the gate and hit an iceberg. Hmm. And and they were just sinking quickly. And and there was a blow up where Bean started, you know, trading guys randomly, trading Carlos Pena, <laughs> yeah, uh, sending uh, or trading Giambi. Right. Um, bunch of guys, bunch of guys got sent down to the minor leagues. It was a major, major shakeup. Like half the roster was was shaken up. Right. Uh, so that was 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 accurate. Um, well, the 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 other thing about the movie is you, people like Art Howe, you have to create a couple of different bad guys basically to make it a bit dramatic. Uh, otherwise, there's just no kind of tension there, and it just becomes this kind of story that goes along but you don't have the highs and lows the ups and downs and the yeah and the winners and losers and everything so that's why it is an odd choice to make a movie because there's no real ending to it there's no kicker at the end um the the, the kicker comes three quarters of the way through when they win the 20 but there's no world series there's no kind of huge payoff it's just it's kind of it's to me it reminds me of social network in a way that it's it, it's a slice of life. It's a, it's kind of this this segment of of history that ha, has a, a beginning, a middle, but we don't know what the end is. So you can only just show you know that portion. But but, and but make no no it no. But Tim, as a movie as you can, we know exactly what the end is. For what? It's been ten years and. No, so it's how is that the end? Wait, 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 wait. Hang on. Let me, Maybe let there's me, a twenty-year ending. Let me let me come back around to this because uh, I, this is this, this goes with the second question I was going to ask about all of this. Second big question is that that the that the whole Moneyball thing was okay. We don't have enough money, so we're going to compete with the big guys by being smarter than they are. But a lot of teams, Red Sox, a lot of teams have have taken that and 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 started using and crunching the numbers in the same way. Mm-hmm. So that takes away the advantage the A's had early on, and but they still don't have the money. So my right. question, my so so that is that is that was the end of the movie. That's your conclusion. The end of the movie is is uh, is the Red Sox tried to get Billy Bean and he chose not to go there, and they got Bill James and Theo Epstein. They, they already who, had who, who wasn't in the movie and was a relative unknown then, but of course is not now, but someone who would run the team in the way Bill James would approve of a, a team being run, playing by those rules. Exactly. So it is, it's, the, it's the validation of that way of rethinking the analysis of the game and putting together what constitutes running the team like a business with the same kind of metrics you might have where you're trying to find weird statistics your competitor doesn't have, um, turning it into something someone from Harvard or some other Ivy League college might turn it into a normal normal just kind of business analysis. But like you're saying, with money, you can always, if you can find the undervalued talent 
and is, is undervalued, and you're still willing to pay more than everyone else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. The, one other thing about the movie is, like, when they came to that 20-win streak or whatever, and they showed clips from it, I realized they, they really just focused on, like, three or four players, and you kind of forgot about people like Jermaine Dye or whatever, you know, that they also had on the team, the pitching staff they yeah. hardly talked about. They had Mulder, Zito, Zito's name was not mentioned in the movie. Right. Hudson and Mulder were mentioned. You saw Zito maybe when they were showing Hudson Mulder Zito in like a graphic, but Zito's name was never mentioned. That was sort of weird. Mm-hmm. Because because I mean they were trying to focus on the point about about the you know OBP being the the key metric. Though the A's didn't even lead the league in on base percentage that year either. Oh, here's the weird thing I was going to mention when you were talking about the. Um, reality or how the book and the movie kind of relate in the book. And this is something that was totally left out of the movie in the book. The, the big prize that Billy Bean was trying to get was a draft, a specific player in the draft. Kevin Euclid. Kevin Euclid later, but in this particular round of the draft, it was, um, they were, they were trying to get him before Milwaukee, I guess. And the player was Nick Swisher. Okay. <laughs> Who got traded away quickly and then went to the White Sox instead of going directly to the Yankees, but is now essentially the same kind of player Giambi was. For the Yankees. For the Yankees, yeah. And he wasn't, he wasn't mentioned in the movie at all. Because that doesn't, but maybe it would have been a, a, an interesting thing. The guy who was like the big prize in the book is now on the Yankees. So, do we think that the, that 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 overall Moneyball, the Moneyball ethos, has been good and works for baseball? Um, yeah, I think the the Moneyball thing absolutely is a good. Basically, I think it was a good leveler. So, I would say to wrap up my portion of this is that it's it's not as money good money ball good for baseball it's it, it pits no pun intended sabermetric analysis thinking creatively and scientifically about baseball versus piles of cash yeah exactly and and money ball is just sort of like a subset of what's coming out of like the sabermetric Community. I mean, there are a lot of people who are thinking about baseball in different ways right now. That's very interesting. Absolutely. And so Moneyball is maybe like the leading indicator of some new trend where all kinds of competing theories pop up. Um, so it may still be possible for someone to outthink money and win the World Series, but right now money has the advantage. So, um, Wikipedia's gone down. Already? Have you looked at, have you looked at Media Loper? Oh, nice. Media Loper has become entirely redacted. It only affects the first time they hit the site. If you click through a link, you get the normal page. Or if you navigate away and come back. Yeah, there it is. Just click on the link and there's the SOPA and PIPA learn more. So it makes a statement on the first visit, and then if you click anything else, you get the normal site, essentially, with the banner at the top if you need more information. Got it. So the point is, we can let this run 
I'm going to let this run until we know there's going to be a solution. Well, there was some. There seemed to be there's the, the there seems to be the some movement on the part of the White House opposing it. Yeah, but the thing is, <laughs> can you imagine an election year showdown over something like this? Obama having to veto it. I think Obama. I, just, I, I I don't. I'm I'm going to be a little bit more optimistic and say that that I think there's enough public support for not having this bill that maybe it wouldn't hurt to, to, to veto it. Although many of his fundraisers <laughs> support it. Yeah, but many of his fundraisers are against it, I'm sure, too. Yes. But Though he spent more time comes, in L.A. than Silicon Valley. When it comes to the liberal Hollywood elite... And this and SOPA is all about the liberal Hollywood elite <laughs> trying to have a disproportionate impact on the laws that govern the media in the 21st century. Well, you know, the Internet was created for the entertainment, you know, for entertainment only, right? Well, it's, yeah. And it's and, only for and, Hollywood's, Hollywood's benefit. That's it's no, for nobody else. And you don't have to understand anything about how it works as long as you're entertained by it. Right. But they they should have they should have a say because they they own the internet and everything that goes through the internet now is sanctioned by Hollywood. I'm concerned or I'm offended by or I think that someone needs to address this this issue of you know the lamestream media coverage of this issue. I think, yes. you know, I think you know who I'm talking about. They always refer to Lamar Smith as the author of the SOPA bill. Mm -hmm. shouldn't, that, shouldn't the word author be in quotation marks to be correct? Because he's admitted that he doesn't understand anything about DNS. He doesn't understand anything about the underlying technology. He doesn't understand why this would be a problem in any circumstance. He can't, and whenever anyone raises a logical argument with strong technical backing, he's, he dismisses it out of hand. How is it possible that he could have been the literal author of this bill? Author needs to be in quotation marks. Well, no, no, no. He's the author of the same because, way. Because someone else authored it, and he was just paid to be the ghostwriter. He was uh, actually it's the other way around. He's really the ghostwriter of this bill. Or not really. Someone else is the ghostwriter. He's, he's the fake author. That's right. He's got a ghostwriter. He's got the, it. He's the snooky of this bill. Snooky wrote a book, Lamar Smith authored the bill. It's exactly the same level of authenticity and exactly the same level of, of intelligence. Snooki is the vampire person? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Kirk knows who Snooki is, doesn't he, Tim? Uh, you know, I, I, he might. He should. But um, he's probably seen as much Jersey Shore as I have. I've but, never seen yeah. Jersey Shore. Doesn't mean I don't know who Snooky is. That's no, this is True Blood you're talking about. Oh. Snooky, <laughs> Snooky. No, that's 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 Suki. Snooky, Snooky Monster, isn't that Sesame Street? Yes. 
I don't even know why I do podcasts with you people. Don't you know anything? Well, some things are better not better left unknown. There are the things we know and the things we think we know and the things we think we think we know. There's the knowns. There's the known knowns and then, the, unknowns, and then and the, the unknown known unknowns and there's the unknown unknowns. Yeah, kids, that's Donald Rumsfeld. Look him up tomorrow when Wikipedia is back online. Uh, you know what? You know how I'm getting to the Wikipedia? I'll tell you how I'm getting to the Wikipedia. I have a special account with a proxy server in China that can get me into the Wikipedia's back door that only the Chinese government has access to. So you're to. basically a commie. And they have full access to the Wikipedia right now. So basically wow. our, our... So they could take us over, like... They could get all our knowledge. No, no, I'm not saying they could take us over. I'm saying they could win a bar bet right now. <laughs> yeah. Spin Magazine was, of course, the first glossy American rock magazine that attempted to do for our generation what Rolling Stone did for the boomers. Be a major music-oriented voice of our generation. Of course, that didn't work so well, as popular culture was too busy splitting itself into a zillion different genres that no single magazine could ever hope to cover and stay profitable. And so Spin has tried to reinvent itself over the years, first as a blender clone, and now, in an attempt to stay relevant for the kids of the 21st century, they've decided to tweet the vast majority of the record reviews. Now, Twitter is good for a lot of things, but serious record reviews? Not really. So, yes, it is. so is this the latest death knoll for serious well, rock criticism? How is this going to work? I know they're tweeting their record reviews. Are they sending out 10 tweets in a row that each have 140 characters that effectively is the review? Or are they doing one review per album? One I mean, album, one tweet. one tweet, one review, moving on. Really? How are they going to do their top 10 list? Well, they're not reviewing every single album that way. I'll give okay. so so the quote unquote major albums, right? Well, the ones yeah. they feel are worth a full essay, they'll do full essays. What they're getting rid of is the the single paragraph uh, album reviews, which really, by the way, no one's going to miss. <laughs> they're giving they're getting rid of the two and a half to three and a half star reviews, basically. Uh, so you're saying they're getting rid of the mid list reviews. <laughs> They're getting. They're, well, is that what you're saying? They're moving those to Twitter. What, what they're basically what they're basically saying is that they're downsizing. They're, they're downsizing, down, yeah. cleaning house a bit. Basically, what they're saying is, in 80 words, you can't say anything more about most records than you can say in 140 characters. I know you love to go on about your music, Jim. Uh huh. I know how you are with your rock criticism and there will still be journals of rock criticism for you know suspender wearing bearded unix geeks like you in the future yes I, unix. yeah i know i'm a i'm a huge huge unix geek <laughs> yeah most you're on the internet in what year you must have been using the unix <laughs> i i know you jim you're a unix well at least i'm not a unix so go on <laughs> Music criticism is just has re, it's it's expired. It's just not useful anymore. It's it's. How do we find out in, about good music other than hearing it? But oh, I think I oh, the social your social network the uh, made up of people whose whose taste you've verified based on other things they've they've said. That's one way, and just you know doing the stuff we used to do. 
only with a budget that maybe is not much more than we had back then, except that that budget will get you so much more now than it would then, just going out and grabbing stuff. Um, some form of curation in the sources where you do the legal grabbing, that's something that eMusic is really good about. That's something that Spotify is very, very bad about. I don't know. I don't find, me personally, <laughs> reading record reviews is like listening to Van Halen. Well, I do like the occasional, hang on, I do like the occasional, The to me the paragraph length record review is, is easily enough. The, you know, the full page mojo review is is too much. You know, Rolling Stone, all these magazines, Q, um, Spin, etc. They've all they've all kind of migrated to the the paragraph reviews anyway for for a lot of their stuff. And to me, that's just fine. Only for for my for for my benefit, just to get a sense of what something is, because there's so much out there. I don't have time to kind of listen and scroll through stuff and listen to sound bites. I'd rather get an idea of what it is, you know, just give me some kind of heads up as to what I might find interesting, what it might sound like, whatever, and then I'll go out and, and, and grab it. And how would you feel about if you if it was like short review with sound samples? Would you be into listening to samples and would well, that yeah, no I I do that sometimes because I have the spin app on my iPad and I've you know I've done that. So so uh, and it's kind of interesting and what but what that does is it does make me it does make me kind of listen to stuff for thirty seconds and move on, which is quite handy actually. So a couple of things here. I think first of all that I don't I disagree about the full length. I may not want to read a full length record review, but sometimes when I'm I'm curious about what someone thought or if it's somebody I'm interested in, I do like reading a full length. You know, a nice long one. That's fine because. The more someone writes, theoretically, the more you're going to get of where they're coming from and what their tastes are and how my tastes work versus theirs, which, by the way, is the same thing as as figuring out who my friends in Facebook and Twitter who share the same tastes are, who might discover things. So that's the first part of it. But this, the part where they're re, they're they're replacing the 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 80 word one paragraph reviews with 140 character reviews i think both things are equally useless and so therefore i think the twitter reviews are a still useless because really they just come down to a, a description they don't really tell you anything because they can't tell you much more than a description of what's going on there which is not criticism it, describing what an album is is not is not giving a critical analysis of it. So there's Are you that. saying that you can't give a critical analysis in the remaining space after li listing the band name and, and the album, that it's not possible to do maybe even a very creative critical analysis in the remaining hundred and how it, many characters are left? Of course you can, but not every single time and not most of the time. Well, and that, but my view is that, and I, I agree with, I don't think the long form review is dead. I think it just goes to special places where the people who are into each different kind of music know where to find the, like, deep, serious, fanatical music reviews. Well, that's uh, another level, that's another layer entirely. The, a lot of stuff I'm talking about is stuff that's just vamping and filling, filling page space, you know, to, to meet their requirements, whereas that, if you go to somewhere and find stuff online that's very in depth, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother layer there. There's, it's almost like there's there's three or four different levels of of music reviews. There's, 
the Twitter, obviously now the tweet, and then there's the the capsule kind of Robert Christgau paragraph thing. Then there's the page, and then there's the really in depth. No total breakdown. Someone who's really good with Twitter, yes, they can. But that's I still think that's like any other form of writing, form of criticism. There's Christgau was amazing and still is amazing with the one paragraph reviews. But you know what? Millions of critics have tried it since, and very few have ever been able to do that as well as he did. So he's clearly an anomaly, regardless of what's going on after that. So critics who can review via Twitter are probably an anomaly, too, because they're, god damn, it's 140 characters. Explain Quadrophenia in 140 characters. Go. But they're not But they're not doing reviews of Quadrophenia in 140 characters. By your own admission, they're doing the mid-list reviews. So to judge this thing is, would the type of reviews that normally would have been in whatever format they were in much longer collapsed into 140 characters? You as the consumer who's reading Spin Magazine... Would you have read those re- original reviews to begin with? And might you see those tweets when, you, when you're on Twitter where maybe you wouldn't have even seen the review? And would you have been interested enough in the much longer review, which was a short review, to, to attract your attention? I don't know. I honestly don't know. I don't know because I do skim but I don't really read that many magazines anymore either. So, I mean, I might... So they're, they're not... I mean, it's not like they're closing shop on a series... They're still doing regular size reviews, aren't they? Yes, but fewer. Yeah. I just don't think... I just don't think that, that, that it's, 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 it's... It seems like more of a stunt. That's all I'm saying. Well... I, it could be born out of practicality. I don't. I don't know. We'll. we'll it's see. a combination of things. You know, they're just trying something new as part of it, and you can't blame a traditional pre-digital publication for trying something new. I mean, we criticize old-world media companies for being too slow to change, and then when someone tries something new, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, there goes tradition. It's not about tradition. It's about practicality. Yeah, I, I see it as a practical move. And, it, and the thing is, there is so much stuff coming out now. There, you know, there. It kind of seems, in one sense, that that music as we know it is dying, but the amount of music that's actually coming out is still is, is still quite um, it, it's it's quite a steady flow. So there's too uh, much, actually. There's too there, much. There's too much. Yeah, there's too, there's too much for my liking because I tend to like too much and um, <clears throat> I tend to want to hear most of it or at least have an idea as to what it is. But now there's just no time anymore. Plus, you know, with new stuff coming out and then old stuff that you want to listen to again, there's just no time. So so tweeting record reviews is 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 a way to solve your lack of time. Well, I think tweeting record review, actually, you know what, thinking about it, I might just have a cutoff line and say, you know what, at the end of this year, no more new music. I'm just going to go backwards. Well, but the... Really? Wait, whoa. The end of the year is coming in December. So it's like you say this knowing the end of the world is coming up. (laughs) 
Yeah. So you're saying Technical terms, end of the world terms, whatever. It just makes sense, doesn't it? To you turn fifty, and there's a couple more months after that, and Arium is already broken up, and so why do you care? Exactly. Exactly. So what's what's to live for, music-wise? What am I waiting for? There's no new Velvet Underground coming out. There's no new REM. There's no new. There's no new uh, Grand Funk Railroad. Um, so we'll have to start skipping you on in the mix. <laughs> I'll do re. Yeah, I'll do. No, uh, no, I'll be oldies. I'll do re. I'll do remasters. No, I don't that's know. That's what I'm. That's what I'm doing this week. Remasters. Ah, see, see, it started already. Kirk beat me to it. So speaking of in the mix. Did you like that? See, that's a segue right there. That is a professional quality segue. That would have done Ryan Seacrest proud. So we're skipping the American Idol segment tonight. We'll go to it next week when Tim's has actually watched it, which will make him that much more of an idiot. But now it's time for In the Mix. Tonight, Kurt tells us what he's been listening to recently. So iTunes Match has just completely splintered my music collection to the point where I don't know if I will ever recover from this shift because I had more than 25,000 songs and I had to slice it and dice it to get in to a, under the wire where they let me create the account. And now I'm like always like bumping up against the if I go over, my new songs won't go into the cloud. I have to go back and think about maybe removing some old songs from the cloud. This just sucks. Yeah, it does. Really, really. Everything else about iTunes Match works great. This 25,000 song limit is Satan. And from what I understand, this is not an Apple limit. This is a music industry limit. Oh, absolutely. And it's also, it's also arbitrary. Right. Well, we're, then we're kind of lucky that it's that high. Right. This is what I'm saying is Steve Jobs probably on his deathbed was like arguing. No, no. He died after it launched. Or did he die before? I don't know. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. I should have made it 30 or 50. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They probably wanted it to be 1,500 yeah. <laughs> was the starting point. So, yes, I'm glad that it's 25,000. But I'm having to have a deeper thought think more deeply about this pool of music that goes into the service that is otherwise really good. And what do I do with the other music and how do I access it? And I don't really have time because some of this requires critical thinking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your and, and who wants to do that? Music review isn't going to help me with it, Jim, <laughs> but the Twitter review might quickly, you know, give me some advice. But, but shouldn't you already know because you've already listened to it? Right. Okay. So the first things, so you're asking in my next mix, I'm saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to give you the top like five things, six things I see in iTunes, and then I'm going to give you in the mix immediately after. So first, okay, here's, here's what I see just objectively looking at it. Pet Sounds, the Beach Boys. (laughs) Bob Marley, 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 Charles Bradley. So you you use you use smart playlists, right? 
true. This is this is part of the splintering where you remember weeks ago where I explained right, that I had right. to pull reggae had to pull the reggae out of my mix. But but your mix is all smart playlist stuff, so it means whatever you've added recently now shows up in your mix, and maybe the problem is you're using that automatic thing to determine what your mix is instead of going more manual for current stuff. Right. I don't have time to mix up. I don't have time to program the formula. My available time for entertainment doesn't involve programming a precise mix oh. that will give me, based on, based on, okay. Mine does. <laughs> the, I, the, I, the iTunes match thing that I'm dealing with was not anticipated, so I didn't budget <laughs> the amount of time I would need. Nor, nor I'm trying to spend the normal amount of time that I would spend on my mix without making extra hours to react to the situation. So now I will get to my real mix. Shake your money maker, shake your money maker, shake your money maker, shake your money maker, and then God damn, Elmore James, shake your money maker, the best of the fire sessions. I don't know what my problem was, but I never really paid much attention to Elmore James. I mean, I knew Elmore James. I thought I liked Elmore James. But for some reason, I never really listened to Elmore James. And now I'm really listening to Elmore James. And it's goddamn amazing. I highly recommend anything by Elmore James because I've dug deeper in the Spotify, which I mm -hmm. do. And... Um, in the actual real mix of songs that will play if the network goes down, um, I'm listening to uh, this the best of the fire sessions, which is pretty incredible. And I would even go so far as to put him in the same league as Howlin' Wolf. Wow, oh, yeah. which is a big compliment. Also in my mix, speaking of legends, is the new Sharon Jones. There's a new Sold. one? There's a new Sharon Jones that came out in December. Oh, wow. Called Soul Time, and some of this stuff has been reissued previously, and um, there's a part one and a part two, but if genuine parts one and part two, when I hear part three might be coming out. If you're one of those people who's never listened to Sharon Jones, there's never been a better time. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. I've seen all good people turn their heads each day so satisfied I'm on my way. Uh, and
And the third is Under the Covers, Volume 2, Susanna Hoffs and Matthew Sweet. Have you guys heard this? Yeah, I have that. There's, is it, they, have Marky, they do Marky Moon, right? Yeah. They do a bunch of stuff. There's uh, E-Music had two-disc set. Uh, yeah, some songs you would never listen to otherwise, but hearing uh, uh, the reclusive Matthew Sweet with Susanna Hobbs um, <laughs> makes uh, Killer Queen, for example, uh, more palatable. Yeah, I love that song. The original. The original. Yeah. I love the production. Of course. Caviar and cigarettes. Well, first in etiquette. Extraordinarily nice. She's a killer. Queen. Gunpowder gelatin. Dynamite with a laser beam. Guaranteed to blow your mind. Oh, sir. Just one more thing. One more thing, Tim. It's award season. So I've heard. Did you know that? Did you win anything? I didn't. No, I did not win anything. Kirk, but, did you um, win anything? Hang on, I forgot about one more thing. I'm, oh. I'm working. So one more thing. The award season. The actually the the Golden Globes were the other night, and it was a pretty pretty tame affair. It has to be said. Ricky Gervais was. How do we say it? Was he uh, boring? Yeah, I was gonna say not boring, but I was gonna say he was. He was tame. Uh, it was like it was like it was like okay, I'm on there, and um, so so to be fair, if he was trying to be outrageous, he it was lose lose. He should have just not gone back on because if he's trying to be more outrageous, and it's like oh, Ricky Gervais is a dick, he's being more outrageous. So he went the not so outrageous route and was just kind of like, okay, that's almost funny. Yeah, it was <clears throat> it was too bad, and I think the ratings were down this year. They were huge last year, down this year, and I'm wondering if that is because the uh, from hour to hour whether it tapered off, as they realized it was a pretty uh, boring and uh, tame show. Emasculated, I think, was the term I was looking for, something like that. Uh, Except for Seth Rogen, of course, who was completely yeah. unemasculated. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Yes, he was uh, trying to hide his manhood, fully chuffed. Fully chuffed, yeah. And um, so anyway, hopefully uh, other things coming up will be a bit more interesting, like the Oscars. and. Well, the Golden Globes are a sham of a mockery of a travesty of a sham in the first place. So, But they're usually entertaining as, yes. an, as an award show. They, the actual award themselves, they mean Zero. nothing. Sweet F.A., sweet fuck all. And they are... Uh, they they have zero credibility in my in my view, but it's a fun show. So when that funness is taken away, that kind of just defeats the purpose of it. So right. know, they got to rethink again next year, just like the Oscars have to seriously rethink this year after but, that uh, travesty of last year. But they're going back to Billy Crystal, Tim. What could possibly go wrong with an eighty-year-old man hosting the Oscars? Well, I think Billy Crystal is the perfect choice. And uh, I think he'll be great because he I think looks marvelous. Are, he'll look marvelous. You know, I want the, I want the dangerous people to do it, not the kind of boring, safe, not funny people. Makes sense to me. One more thing, Kirk. 
So I think it might be time to start the Media Loper Bebop Book Club. I'm starting a book. I can't comment on it because I haven't actually read it yet. I'm thinking if I give advance notice, we can do, like, book club. I can highly recommend it based on the strength of the previous book. Which book is this? It's uh, William Patry, How to Fix Copyright. <laughs> oh, wow. That oh, sounds wait. really good. <laughs> wait, you said book club, not homework. You know what? I, can I get it on Kindle right now? <laughs> I think you want the audio book, Tim. Even better. His previous book, William Patry's previous book, is Moral Panic and the Copyright Wars. He is the world's foremost expert on copyright. And um, when we talk about SOPA, it's driven by the IP industries who are trying to push copyright further than it was ever intended to be pushed. And this sort of books like these are the grounding and the authoritative response to the kind of numbskull laws that are being passed or are being proposed um, like SOPA and PIPA and you know we're just seeing the beginning of this (laughs) more will come Uh, and so my reading of the um, description of how to fix copyright has to do with uh, apparently the book is in part in to great to a great extent about um, proving, having background to, to uh, back up the laws you're proposing, like showing your work, so to speak. And, and one of the problems that uh, is causing you know, the people who support things like SOPA to think that it's a good idea is they're believing these projections that there's, you know, Eight trillion dollars in, in damage for uh, to, to copyright holders, and when you actually ask for a source of the information, no one can ever find it. And when you actually trace it back to the source, you realize that it's nothing. It's no one has, no one ever did anything. They just wrote a number down. Um, so it's thinking more sanely about constructing your copyright laws in a way that will have you know the desired impact for creativity and consumers as well and the creation of new services. So that's what um, How to Fix Copyright is about, and I'm about to start reading it. And I think that next week we need to check in. I think the first three chapters is reasonable. I don't expect everyone to read the whole book. If you're a go-getter, maybe you want to get a head start and read the next three chapters. Uh, but until next week, let's focus on the first three chapters. Okay, perfect. Um, just um, you, you work on that, and I'll work on my list of REM songs. Tim, are you going to read? I'm going to go watch a movie. One more thing. San Francisco 49ers 36, New Orleans Saints 32. Woo! How about that game on Saturday? Was that not one of the greatest NFL playoff games of all time, Tim? Legendary, I mean, instant instant classic, final five minutes, some of the best football ever played on a football field. I would still say that even if the 49ers had lost, I think I would still say that. I, I know I would still say it. I just wouldn't be happy about saying wouldn't it. Wouldn't be as happy. That was a great game, classy game. Two great teams, 
There are no losers that can both hold their head up high. Basically, the well, clock no, 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 no. Out. There was a loser. It was New Orleans because the 49ers that's, are playing the Giants this week. That's and, true. And, 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 uh, <laughs> Hey, Toledo. <laughs> Only Toledo. Kirk, did they sell out their playoff games? I can't hear you. <laughs> All I can say is that it was really it was it was a bonus to have the 49ers do well and be in the playoffs this year, but it was an extra bonus for a fun game that we could jump up and down and scream at the TV and 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 just go up and down and 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 have highs and lows and yeah if they get to the super bowl great if they don't less great but either way we have way. this one game from this season to kind of tide us over well the great thing about the game is there was no controversy where we could say oh if they just got that one call or whatever that was a bad officiating or something you know there was none of that there was no there was no big attitude on display. The teams were kind of restrained in their celebration, you know, pretty much. It was just a great, you know, it, it kind of restored faith in the NFL. I'll be parochial and, 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 and prejudiced, and I'll say I just want the 49ers to be in the Super Bowl there. Yeah, I, 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 I don't care to, about any other yeah. storyline. No, I don't either. But what I would like to see is the 49ers and the Patriots, where you get these two dynastic teams playing against each other that have never met in the postseason. So that would be fun. And that does it for Midi Loper Bebop episode 28. Thanks to Tim Gaskell. An idiot. You're not an idiot because we didn't go there. And Kirk Biglioni. I thought I was the idiot. Oh, yeah. you're Kirk's the idiot. That's right. Thanks to our listeners. Kirk, what did you call them earlier on? I, You know, I, I cannot be expected to remember... <laughs> <laughs> what I what I called that group of people an hour ago. Thanks everybody. Catch you next week. Same Bebop time, same Bebop channel.